Okay, thank you. Let's thank these guys for coming up here. Again, they will be uh, uh, in the back at the community corner, and we'd love for you to uh, check that out. Grab your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Peter. Uh, while you're looking for that, I want to give you a few announcements and uh, circle back to a few things. Hey, just uh, at Grace, there's lots of ways to connect. Obviously, the C groups are a huge part of connection, but we have uh, SOAR Detroit is doing a run here in September. If you stop at the kiosk back there, you can get a sign-up sheet. If you start running right now, you can be ready to run the 5K or 10K by September. Uh, but we'd love for you to participate in that. Uh, you know, the singles, how many of you have uh, noticed how much the singles have been doing this summer? They've been doing a great job. So many, yeah, just so many great events. But they have a couple coming up. Uh, they have a, a, something that's happened at Second Ebenezer around the arts, and then they also are going to go serve at Gleaners, and there's some flyers for that. I do know that if you're going to come to the, uh, the arts thing that they have going uh, at Second Ebenezer, that you need to sign up for that. But again, you can just stop at the kiosk and get information about that. But we would love for you to connect beyond the weekend. So lots of ways to do that. So here we are. We're in First Peter, right? And and what I'm going to do today is kind of just step back and uh, look at First Peter from a 20,000-foot view, if you will. I'm just going to talk about the, the threads that run through the entire book. So I'm going to jump around a lot, but it's going to be 99% in First Peter. So if you have First Peter open, you should be able to find what I'm talking about. If you take notes in your Bible, I'll try to slow down uh, when I call out those passages so you can turn to it. But we're really looking at the entire book. And, and what we've learned so far as we've spent the last 10 weeks looking at First Peter is that First Peter is written... 2,000 years ago to a group of people who were in a society that was pretty hostile to Christianity. They were hostile to, to anybody that was a Jesus follower. And so Peter is writing to them and saying, here's a way to live your life in such a way that the people around you, even though they're hostile to Christianity, will want to know what the deal is. They'll want to know, why are you different? They'll want to know, why do you live a life that's different? And they'll ask you. So Fierce Peter is the one in the society we live in as closely as ever again. There is a hostility that exists in our culture towards Christianity, towards being a radical, fully devoted follower of Jesus. It's not as popular, if you will. It's not the center of, of the way our social structure is. So as, as, as our society gets more and more hostile, First Peter becomes more and more relevant in helping us to navigate how to be a witness for Christ, how to, to live our lives in such a way that people want to know what the deal is with this God that we serve, okay? So that's kind of the theme behind First Peter. Peter. And the whole point is, it's helping us to uh, walk more faithfully and have more impact. So I thought the best thing to start here with is just two questions, just to cause you to stop and reflect for a moment. And while I don't think the questions are rhetorical, they could come across that way. The first question is, do you want to walk faithfully with Jesus? Like, do you really want to finish well? Do you, do you have a sense in your spirit that, that everything's good and I, I got everything I need? Or are you really asking, there's got to be more that I want more, I want more of Jesus? And the second question is, do you, do you actually desire to have impact on the people around you? Do you want to lead your friends to Jesus? Do you want your neighbors to come to, to, to know Christ? Do you want to have kingdom impact in the world and in your community? And those questions, we could just easily, we're at church, we know what the right answer is supposed to be, but I'd love for you to, to really ask them of yourself. Do I really want these? 
Do I really want my friends to come to faith? Do I really want my, my family to find Jesus in the way that I do? Do I really want to finish well and grow in my walk with God? And the interesting thing is, if you were to just go back to 1 Peter, there are two questions that Peter is answering throughout the entire letter that, that, that just become the two threads. And the first question he's answering is, is who are you? He's getting to identity. And the second question he's answering is, what is your purpose? These are the two major threads. So I want to give you a little bit of homework. If you go back this week and read through 1 Peter with a notepad open, and you just were to ask yourself, every time you see Peter talking about who are you, write it down. And every time you see Peter uh, saying, uh, what is your purpose, write that down. You'd find out that the majority of the letter is written with those two questions in mind. Peter wants you to know who you are and what is your purpose. And, and how much more could we really ask for, right? To know who we are and what are the purpose. Like it's the question of life, right? That's what everybody goes to see the Dalai Lama for. Who am I? What's my purpose, right? So here we have the answer. You don't have to pay to go see the Dalai Lama. I'm not sure how one would do that anyway, but that's beside the point. Okay, who are you? What are your purpose? And we're going to start with the question, who are you? And here's what I want you to think about. Who you believe you are affects you probably way more than you even realize. Actually, it affects everything about you. Your perceived identity drives most of your behaviors. What you believe about yourself determines how you think. It determines how you respond to certain circumstances. And it doesn't matter if what you believe is true. It only matters if you believe it. What you believe about yourself affects who you are. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. So we have this program that we partner with here called Soar Detroit, where we teach first through third graders how to read at grade level. And so kids come in and some of them have, have you know, they're in second grade, third grade, and they have almost no reading skills whatsoever. And so what we've learned is that the first thing that we have to do is help the child to realize that they can do it. That if we can get a child to believe that they're smart enough to believe that they're capable, to believe that they have what it takes. That's the, the most important message when I've done the trainings in the past. I've always said, your, your job is to make sure that that child believes they have what it takes because if they believe they have what it takes and that they have the learning acumen, suddenly the learning happens. But if they don't believe, it's never gonna happen because if you believe you can't, you won't. Right? And so it's, it's the belief system that drives everything that happens. And so that one-on-one -on -one system that we use where you're sitting across the table just saying, you can do it, you can do it, you have what it takes, you're smart, you're, you're a smart kid, that ends up changing the trajectory of their education. But it goes beyond that. It's funny, I um, was talking to Meg on Friday and I was talking about this very part of my sermon. I was like, I, I want a better... Uh, uh, analogy, a, a better story that I can tell. And so we were talking about it. We were driving to a uh, estate sale up near New Baltimore. And so all the way up there, we were talking about our own stories and we were talking about people we know and, and their stories and how what they believe about themselves affects everything. And so we get to the estate sale and somehow I get into a conversation, which happens to me often, uh, that gets fairly personal fairly quickly with the lady who owns the estate sale company, you know? So I'm talking to her and I said, well, do you want me to pay here or should I pay over at that tent over there? And she said, no, that's just my family. They're just here. And then she said, whenever they're here, I feel like I can't do anything right. Like, and you could just feel like her tension in her spirit. Like, I'm not sure why they're here. It just makes me so uncomfortable. I never feel like I can do anything right when my family's here. So there's something she believes 
about herself that is reinforced in her family of origin. Now, I didn't have time to break it all down. We didn't, you know, how about some restorative prayer real quick? It didn't, didn't really work out that way with the people in line, but it was just very clear to me as we're driving up there and saying, but I really just need an example. And then the Lord puts this right in front of me. There, there are things that we believe that affect our very continents, right? You believe something about yourself and maybe it happens to you whenever you're with your family that all of a sudden you sink back into this thing that you don't necessarily like and it stirs something up in you. What you believe about yourself. In fact, matter of fact, what you believe, you begin to look for evidence to support what you believe about yourself. So if you believe, for instance, maybe your belief is you're not smart enough, anytime you disappoint people, which is just a natural way of life, we all have moments where we disappoint other people, you will tell yourself, see, I'm not smart enough, I, could, I couldn't do it anyway. So, so what happens is we begin to look for evidence to reinforce it. So what you believe matters. So I'm, all that to say, it's per, imperative that we know who we really are, right? You buy into the false statement, it affects so much of what's going on. So first Peter, Peter goes to these incredible links to tell you this. He says, look, you have an enemy, the devil, and he wants to devour you. And one of the ways he will devour you is by giving you a lie. And a lot of times you get that lie from your childhood. Here's your lie and getting you to believe that lie and getting you to act out of and to respond out of that false identity. That's Satan's scheme. I'm gonna give you. And I would say, I believe, because I've never seen the exception, and until I do, I'm gonna believe this. All of us carry a lie or two or three, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not worth it, you're a pain in the butt. Whatever it is, and a lot of times they're just words that have been spoken over us by parents who, who weren't thinking. My, one of my lies came from an older brother who just told me almost daily, he called me a dumb and then he had a little expletive on the end that we're not allowed to say in church. Right, but that was my moniker with my brother. Just and I and I love my brother, and we've worked it out. But that became just sort of, sort of a something that was spoken over me so often that somehow I I can slip into that lie. We all have a lie, and so I, I just want to encourage you to pay attention to it because it it matters. It affects even how you get along in your home and everything else. So so who are you? What's the truth? Not what do you believe, but what's the truth? Right. You've said yes to Jesus. I hope that you've said yes to Jesus, and if you haven't, you can do that tonight. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, there is actually a transaction that takes place. You are transformed into something different. You are, it says, born again. So I'm gonna just, again, I'm gonna run through a bunch of passages in 1 Peter that just are the beginning verses of Peter telling us this is who you are. 1 Peter chapter 1, second part of verse three. He says, you are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are born again, verse four, says you're born into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. Verse 14, if you look at it, it says that you are actually children of God. Chapter two, verse five, you are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. You are being built up. There's something actively going on in your life. The spirit of God is working in your life, building you up. So God is at work in your life. Verse 10 of chapter two says, once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. 
I could keep going. There's all these verses, but I'm just going to summarize them in a list. This is what 1 Peter says that we are. This is what he says you are. He says you are born again. You are a living hope. You are inheritors. You are children of God. You are like living stones being built up. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. You are God's people. And the question I would ask is, what is it that keeps us? You can go ahead and just put all those up, go right to the end of the list. What is it that keeps us from having impact in the world? It cannot for a minute be our true identity. It cannot be in any way that God hasn't given us enough to have impact. The more we know who we are, the more we will be able to live in it. This is an impressive this was an impressive list. I'm not sure where it went. But anyway, this is an impressive resume, right? And I talked about the sore example, right? That if we can get a, a child to believe that, that all of a sudden they begin to learn and they soar, well, the same is true for you and I. When we discover who we really are, when we begin to live into our true identity, we soar. It's a critical part of the Christian journey to discover who you are. What's your true identity? And the only way to, to do that is to begin to pay attention to the self-talk. Pay attention to what you are saying to yourself. I know I say it a lot, but no one talks to you more than you. So you better pay attention to what you're saying to yourself, right? And what is the self-talk? Is it degrading? Is it, is it down-talk? Are you saying, I'm not smart enough? I can't do it anyway. I don't have what it takes. If you're always talking yourself out of something, then maybe you need to take those thoughts captive and you need to go back to this list and say, no, I am born again. I am a child of God. I am redeemed. All of the passages of scripture that tell us who we are in Christ, you take those and you lay them over those negative words and then you begin to believe those words and you begin to live out of them for who you really are. Sometimes you just need to say, look, I'm royalty, right? Not in a bragging way, but in the truth, because the scripture says you are a royal priest. I'm a new creation. I'm born again. I'm a child of the living God. That's who you are. So throughout the letter, Peter goes to great lengths to make sure you know who you are. But then he goes to great lengths to say, and this is who you are, and this is what your purpose is. This is, this is what it's all about. This is your, your marching orders. And here's the deal. If we look at the history of God's people, this is where they tend to get it wrong. There is this reoccurring pattern where the people of God fail to recognize their purpose. And when they do, there's always catastrophic implications. It always brings about uh, difficulties and, and patterns of, of devastation, actually. So let me explain this. So God chooses the Israelites, right? And he says to them, I have set you apart. You are special people to me. I have, I have called you out and I have set you apart and, and I want to walk with you. I want to be in relationship. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people and I want to have this special relationship with you and in turn, I want you to represent me to the world. So in Exodus, we see this laid out for us. This is Exodus 19, five and six. You don't have to look it up. You can look it up later. It says, now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. So there's this picture of, of intimacy with God, my treasured possession among all people for, for the earth is mine. And then he says in verse six, and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy 
nation. The key word there when we're talking about what is it that we're supposed to do, what is our purpose, is a kingdom of priests. He chooses them, he walks with them in relationship, and they are to represent him to others. That's what priests do. They lead people into the presence of God. They make God known. They make God famous, right? So, So he chooses them, he walks with them, he says, you are called to represent me. And he sets them up for success. He doesn't just say, now go do it, good luck, but he gives them everything that they need to be successful, everything they need to the very point that he graphically to have this role as priest to all nations. So this is a map, I hope it'll come up. Um, This little tiny circle here is Israel. This is modern day, so you can get a sense of where it is. It's about all these other green uh, uh, then. And were countries or these empires to these empires, and what they began to find out is that they needed each other. There were, uh, there were certain things in the north that you couldn't get in the south that they've discovered. If we would trade our goods, if we would bring our frankincense and myrrh from the north or from the south, and they would give us some, some of their goods, some of it was grain, some of it was, was even cloth. It was all different things that they could trade. Well, the, really, the only way to get from here to there was to pass through this little sliver of land. It became a land bridge. And you might say, well, why didn't they just go across the Mediterranean Sea? <clears throat> well, 3,000 years ago, sea travel was a little more risky very dangerous. They didn't have the kind of ships. Any storm would come, they would all perish. And if you were decided, well, why didn't they walk around the little landmass? Well, this just happens to be a desert, a little hard to walk through. So, that, so it really was the perfect place to get from point A to point B. So then you have all of these major empires, right? Like, like the Syrian Empire and Babylonian Empire. You have Egypt below. And here's this little tiny sliver of land, the most fought after piece of land in the, in the entire world over all of its history. Wars and wars and wars and still wars going on over that little piece of land. But it was the perfect place to be priests to the world. Why? Because the entire ancient world was going to walk through their backyard, right? The world was going to come to them, and God said, I'm going to call you, I'm going to equip you, and I'm going to place you in the perfect place, in the perfect time, so that you can be priest to the world. So if you go back and you read the Old Testament with this in mind, you begin to realize over and over they're told to receive the foreigner in a special way. They're told to receive anyone that comes from the outside in a special way. Why? Because he, he was saying to them, these people are going to come through your backyard and you need to live your lives in such a way that you will be priests to them so that they will come to know who God is. God was going to bless them. They were going to come through and say, why, is this, why are you guys so blessed? Why do you have so much? And they would be able to say, well, let us tell you why. Let us tell you about our God, Yahweh, and all that he's done for us. So this is what they're supposed to do. The problem is, if you read the Old Testament, they didn't. The problem is they became arrogant. They became full of spiritual pride and national pride, and they became incredibly prejudiced towards other people and and arrogant, and they saw themselves as as special, like, like we're special and you're not. And so you no longer can have a witness for God if you're looking down your nose at people, right? So so they had this arrogance about them, and they just didn't walk with God. They didn't hold on to, so when God says, you you have to walk with me and and hold on to me, right? And and so they didn't do that, and so then it just, they lose the land because they're no longer priests in the land. So the question is, great, that's all fascinating, great history, Doug, appreciate it. What does it have to do with 1 Peter? Everything. Look at chapter 2, second part, verse 9. 
Peter's using the exact same language that we saw in Exodus to describe who we are and what our purpose is. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. You are God's chosen people placed in the perfect place at the perfect time, empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to represent him, to be his holy priest, to lead the people around you towards God, to help them find their way with Jesus. God has set you up for success. I guarantee you, if you just stop and say, God, show me all of the places of influence that you've placed around me. Show me all the places. I just had a conversation coming in here with somebody who said they work at a bank and they've used that as an incredible ground just to talk to people and to share faith. You are equipped and placed to be a royal priest. We have Jesus. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Once you were lost, but now you're found once you were separated from God, but now you are reconciled to God. Once your life had no meaning, but now you have more meaning than you could ask, think, or imagine. So your identity matters and your purpose matters. Life is found in knowing both of these and living it out. I want to just buzz through a bunch of more passages just so you can hear it. And I just kind of want to kind of use that as a way of kind of closing up first Peter. But he says, look, I am calling you to live in a particular way. So, so much of 1 Peter is just very practical living advice. And I'm just gonna read through these relatively quickly. But if you wanna live on mission, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope on grace. 14 says, obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he's called you holy, you also Be holy in your conduct. What is he saying? He's saying, don't do what the world does. Live differently so people will see God in your life. Live lives set apart. Don't conform to the ways of the world. Keep your mind set on the grace that you've received. 1 Peter 1.22 says, love earnestly. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Right? That's how we show people God's love. 1 Peter 2 Chapter verse one, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. We talked through all of those words in one particular sermon, but that's part of living our lives in such a way that people see God. It's what it means to be a royal priest. Chapter two, verse 13, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Submit to whatever people that it is God has placed you under their submission. Chapter three, verse eight, have a unity of mind, sympathy, brother love, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. I preached a whole sermon just on that one. If you want to live on mission and live with purpose, four, seven through 10, be self-controlled, sober-minded, keep loving one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. Use your gifts to serve one another. And then 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So I read all these uh, throughout the week as I was preparing this sermon. And I kept thinking to myself, man, that's a lot. How are we to live into all of that? And the truth of the matter is, you don't have to do it perfectly, but are you even trying? 
right? Are we even trying to live into these, these wonderful words of First Peter? And if you are, then just know that God's grace is new every morning and he is taking you on a journey. And you don't have to do it perfectly, you just have to be on the journey. So here's my, my call to you, if you will. As we roll into the fall season, I just wanna ask you to set your minds on who you are and what is your purpose. Know who you are in Christ and be a holy priest. Lead your friends to Jesus. Lead your family members to Jesus. Lead your neighbors to Jesus. Lead your coworkers to Jesus. Just trust God and do it by the way you live your lives. And just always be prepared to give an answer when they ask. That's the theme of 1 Peter, and that's what he's calling us to, and that will radically transform you in this church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for 1 Peter. I thank you for this book. Uh, I am more convinced now than ever that uh, I could could live into this book for the rest of my life and, and not really get it all. There is so much here. Lord, help us not to move too quickly. Help us to allow your words to bring about life change. Lord, I pray that you would show us deep in our spirits who we are in you, that our identity would be right and true. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be royal priests, that we would not neglect the calling that you've placed on our lives to represent you to the world, to make you famous. Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as you leave today, they're gonna give you uh, one of these cards. It's an invite card. If you want more, you can ask for more. Uh, Next week, next Saturday is the last Saturdays at Grace. I'm gonna cook. I'm gonna climb into a dunk tank. If that doesn't get you here, I don't know what else will. But anyway, uh, they said it would help. I'm not sure why. Let's dunk the pastor. But anyway, grab a card, invite your friend. Great way to lead some of your friends uh, to what we're doing around here. And who knows, they may even hear about Jesus and make a decision. So grab a few cards on your way out. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Cost you nothing, sister, take my hand.